Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host. And today is the first podcast in a series where we're talking about the neonatal intensive care unit and medical conditions common to premature babies. And I have three guests who are going to help with this discussion and educate us all in the process. And they are Dr. Scott Cameron, Judy Philbrook, and Kirsty Miles. So welcome, and let's get started. Why don't you all introduce yourself? I'm Kirsty Miles. I'm a physical therapist, and I'm a team lead with PDT. Um, I work over in the Southern Pines area primarily, um, leading several contract sites, therapists, and also co-lead Blue Team over in Fayetteville with Hayden. So stay pretty busy. Yeah, we're busy. (laughs) Judy, how about you? (laughs) My name is Judy Philbrook, and I'm a neonatal nurse practitioner at Cape Fear Valley Medical Center. And I've been a nurse practitioner since 1988. I'm also the co-coordinator for the Neonatal Advanced Practice Service, which is the group of 12 nurse practitioners that serves and covers the neonatal ICU. Hmm. I'm also president of the Carolinas Association of Neonatal Nurse Practitioners, Really, which is a state organization for both North and South Carolina. We provide education for neonatal nurse practitioners. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So how long is that? For a year or? It's a two-year term. Mm -hmm. I've been with the organization for a long time. The organization's been around for 25 years. Wow. And I was member at large, and then I was vice president, and now I'm president. And so you can only do two two two-year terms. So Mm -hmm. I have one more year, and then I'll be the executive director for two or four years, depending upon how long the next president is. There's only three states that have organizations for neonatal nurse practitioners. It's kind of a cool thing. It is a cool thing. And we'll make sure that in the show notes what we have reference that. Yeah, we have a website. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. And so, Scott, how about you go next? Yeah, my name is Scott Cameron. I work with Judy, and I'm one of the attending neonatologists at Cape Fear Valley Hospital here in Fayetteville. And I started in 2005, so 11 years uh, here busy neonatal unit and happy to be here to talk about it. Thank you all for being here and um, I appreciate you all being our guest today. This is the first podcast that we've done where we're talking just about babies who are born prematurely and we wanted to discuss some of the common medical conditions and issues that babies who are born prematurely might face. Just to start us off, why don't one of you guys explain to us what a NICU is? Let me give some history, and then I'm going to let you talk about what a NICU is. Because I think it's interesting to, to recognize that prematurity is not something brand new. I mean, there were premature babies born since babies have been born. And it really wasn't until the 1800s or so that people started to recognize that these babies who were born early could actually live. And you hear people talk about, well, so-and-so was born, and they were in a dresser drawer mm-hmm. to keep them warm. And, and they were very small, and, and that they you know took them longer to be able to eat and all of that stuff. So, And then... I think it was um, in the later 1800s that they started to put these babies in something that they designed what they called an incubator, Mm -hmm. which was designed from the chickens. The next thing they did was they took the incubators to the World Fairs in the 1930s and showed them around. And and then by the 50s, they started to put these babies in these incubators in hospitals, which was good and bad because they were kind of central, but there were a lot of infection issues. So sometimes the babies, if they were stayed at home, they probably did better than if they were in the hospital. Mm. And it wasn't until probably the 60s or 70s that 
they started to have dedicated units to take care of babies. And they, I don't think they, I know they were not called neonatal ICUs then. They were just special baby units. In the 1960s, when um, President Kennedy had his 34-week baby, mm-hmm. that was when people started to realize that, hmm, prematurity, what does that mean? And that baby died at 34 weeks. And I think mm-hmm. that that just drew a lot of public attention to the to the issue and the problem. And it kind of grew and, and budded from there. So when did the NICU get to be called a NICU? Probably the 60s or 70s. After right that, after Kent, I would after. say 60s to 70s yeah. probably. But I think Judy's right. The JFK son, mm-hmm. when they didn't survive at 34 weeks, really put neonatology on the map. So you've got this field of pediatrics, and then you've got a branch of pediatrics, this subspecialty called neonatology, because of the fame, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word. But ultimately the death because of premature lungs of this 34-weeker in the 60s, which today, 34 weeks and not surviving is almost unheard of. But there was this lady, this professor. Um, it's interesting that she was a female, especially in those times, which is a mm-hmm. fantastic thing, named Mary Ellen Avery. So the baby was admitted to Children's Hospital in Boston, which is or was and still is probably one of the number one, if not the number one children's hospital. And it really established her career. She started from there and started to look at premature lungs, and that became her claim to fame. It's sort of pushing the field as a whole, neonatology, but specifically premature lungs, which is kind of the most important thing when it comes to premature babies, at least initially. So she was kind of the first neonatologist, not officially, but... Yeah, I think she put it on the map, Mm -hmm. made note of it, and things grew from there. Going back to what you were saying, Judy, I had a speech therapist that worked here a while back, and she said that her grandfather was born prematurely, and they put him in the stove. Yep. I mean, bless his little heart. You hear stories like that <laughs> they all did. of the Shoe time. Shoeboxes, mm-hmm. like Judy said, chicken incubators, yeah. I'll never forget that. I was like, no, that's a fighter. <laughs> that stuck with me forever. It's so like, hey, give it to that mom. She's going to make it happen yeah. for her child. And she's like, look, we're going to get through this, buddy. <laughs> you and me. She's innovative. <laughs> she was before her time in developmental care in the NICU, right? <laughs> she was, uh, it's dark and quiet and warm in there. <laughs> Neonatal intensive care has kind of took off from there. And the technology and the medical advances allowed smaller babies to live and also for them to have better outcomes. And you had just these small neonatal sections in the hospital, but then they became recognized as intensive care units. And you started to have people who were dedicated to that and trained for that, not just the regular nurse off the floor. And currently, um, the people that staff it are the neonatologists who are pediatricians who have done extra work in the care of premature babies. The medical team also consists of the neonatal nurse practitioners, and in some hospitals they have residents, which at Cape Valley we don't, but those Mm -hmm. people also would be on the medical team. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of nurses. Nurses are kind of the backbone, and they Mm -hmm. actually do all of the care. And if your baby is getting sick, you want to have a good nurse because it's the nurse that's going to save the baby, not the medical team, because they're going to recognize that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the nurses work with respiratory therapists, Right. Um, we also have, you know, obviously your unit secretary, who to me is a very important person as well, because when the parents come in, they're greeted by the secretary and they establish a relationship with that person. And sometimes the secretary finds out things that the medical team or the nursing staff don't even know because of just the way that they talk to them. We have speech therapists and occupational therapists and physical therapists, and we have a coordinator of care. Any baby that's admitted to the NICU is going to have a Mm. social service consult because these 
high-risk babies and high-risk families are going to require some special things when they go home. And that person can help plug them into whatever services they need. So the reason I was nodding at Kiersey when you were talking about, especially the unit secretary, for us here at PDT, our admin staff really is the first point of contact with all of our families. The experience they have and the information they get, they really sort of tee it up for all of us. And it's a huge key role because of the way they sort of started off with the communication, the how can I help you right from the beginning, because people are calling us, they need help for something usually. Your parents do too. They need help for their baby. Yeah, I would add, and I think Judy hit it right on the head, a couple things. One, the NICU and just a sort of this acronym, neonatal intensive care unit, people throw that around, or neonatal ICU, it's all kind of the same acronym. But that person that sits at the front desk is the initial contact. That's where rapport starts. And you've got a family where they expected a full-term pregnancy but ended up delivering prematurely. And a lot of times it's sudden and it's very anxiety-provoking. And so you're walking into this strange environment that you were completely unaware of. A lot of times it's dark, there are funny sounds, and someone greets you and says, hey, your baby's over here. And you walk over and you see this baby that is nothing like a large, vigorous, full-term baby. So you can imagine you need somebody there because mom is generally recovering and you're as potentially the father or an extended family member standing there looking at the surprise that is not what you had as a vision of the child. And I think the other thing that I would think of is it's a strange environment because it's an intersection of technology mm. and also this desire to provide something akin to maternal care. So maternal care is very much skin to skin. It's very much providing human milk. It's very much quiet and warm, but at the same time, you've got all these uh, ventilators and CPAP devices and IVs and other things that can inflict pain, unfortunately. So it's a very strange intersection of trying to keep that tension um, balanced, if that's possible, and that's something that's been on our radar screen as of late. With Mary Ellen Avery, we really went technology wild, so to speak, for probably 20 to 30 years. Years pushing the envelope both morally and ethically with lower and lower gestational ages and using, developing, rethinking um, technology. But just recently, I think maybe in the last 10 to 15 years, the pendulum has swung back to, hey, this is actually a mother-child uh, dyad that we're trying to to uh, compliment. So, yeah, there is an interesting place to work. Most therapists um, have the experience of working in acute care or a hospital or some kind of rotation in part of graduate school or something. They've had some time in the hospital. But a NICU environment is not like the, a regular floor of the hospital. I mean, it's a closed door unit and locked unit. And, mm -hmm. and so it can be a little intimidating. A lot of times our therapists have never had an internship where they had an experience at all in the NICU. So you don't know what's through those locked doors. Mm -hmm. I think Judy can speak to this better than I can, but I would introduce the idea that uh, NICU nurses do have that maternal instinct. Um, they tend to stick around in, ter in terms of job retention. Hmm. And there is this protective environment that they create around this baby who is completely dependent. And they're just interesting family dynamics sometimes. Until you sort things out, there is sort of this insular type of approach to things that happen at the bedside. And sometimes they have difficulty separating the fact that they're the nurse and that the baby has a mother. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes 
sometimes they become the mother, that can cause problems as well. So if your therapist is concerned about walking in, imagine the parents. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And again, often they have never heard of a neonatal ICU and they don't know what to expect. And what they see is totally not what they had expected. Again, as... Scott explained how the baby might look and all the machines and you know they'll say well is that the temperature it's like well no that's a lead for the monitor for the EKG I mean you know they just there's so much equipment on the baby that it's very overwhelming then you also have to consider what else is going on I mean, you know, mom was working. She had decreased fetal movement. She's got three children at home. She's got other responsibilities. Um, The dog needs to let out. I mean, you know, all of these other (laughs) things. Or, or, you know, she's got sick parents. I mean, you know, everybody has so many things on their plate. And then you're throwing this premature baby that she's being told might be in the hospital for three months. Mm-hmm. What you're saying can ring true to the therapists who are listening to this podcast, because Kirsty and I, we deal this all the time. We work with our therapist and we talk to our therapist and educate therapists on thinking about everybody who's involved in that continuum of care in that child's life. You've got to think about, okay, when you're given home exercise programs or when you're doing the evaluation to find out what's the best plan of care for this child, because that's what y'all are doing as a medical mm-hmm. team is writing plans of care for these babies every mm-hmm. day, all day. You know, you've got to think about what other things are happening in this mom or dad's life or mm-hmm. this grandma's or whoever's sure. the one and then how does it all play out kind of the same thing we can relate to that yeah mm-hmm. did you ever have an experience working in the NICU before I did uh, my clinical was yeah. in pediatrics at Cleveland Rainbow Babies and Children's mm-hmm. Hospital nice. mm-hmm. so I had a very good clinical experience and part of what I wanted to do was get in the NICU so I kind of asked to go in there mm-hmm. so I had at least been in a NICU worked in a NICU experienced a NICU knew what it was about um, and there I didn't only see pre mature infants, I saw those that were born addicted to drugs um, and going through withdrawals. I saw the brachial plexus injury and the early immobilization of that. So I got to see a variety there too. And also, you know, a child that might have a genetic condition mm-hmm. or, you know, some of those early things that they don't really know what's going on yet or have any answers, but they know that they're not okay to be up on the floor and they have to come into the NICU. Very good exposure. It's a very special place. It, of course, has to be a closed unit because of what's happening there. But it's, to me, a very special place because, you know, you've got this medical team and these nurses who are taking care of the baby. That's special when somebody's taking care of your child. And it's personal. And then you've got these families that are dealing with all different types of things. So I can see how the medical staff, the nurses and stuff, would be very protective of these babies. I feel that way about the kids I see in therapy. These are my people. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with my people. And, and they, stay, they stay their people. Every year we have a um, reunion kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the babies who were born in the last year are invited. And I think last year, like 500 people came. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. it's well attended. But it's a chance for the families to come back and see the providers and a chance for the nurses to hook up and see how the babies are doing. And very important. I still get letters from babies that I took care of when I lived in Virginia. And those babies are like 28 years old Wow! from their parents. I mean, you establish a bond. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not with all of them, but with a great majority of them. Sure. And that's probably the one thing that I miss, not being a bedside nurse. Mm-hmm. Because as a bedside nurse, you have one or two babies. As a practitioner, you get half the unit. Right. Yeah. Right. So the environment, some staff, admin staff, is helping to run the joint. Yes. You've got to have those people. Sure. Those are the people who know what's heck's going on there. <laughs> and then you've got a lot of nurses, mm-hmm. a few physicians, mm-hmm. and a few nurse practitioners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I got the picture. Mm-hmm. So what role does Allied Health play in the NICU? Of course, respiratory therapist, speech, OTPT. What's their role? 
You know, it's an area that we we need to develop further. So at Cape Fear, we do have physical therapists and speech therapists and occupational therapists. Reflexively, uh, if we have a baby that doesn't nipple well, a baby who's having issues eating, we will sometimes refer or try to get a consultation from speech therapy. Physical therapy, you mentioned brachial plexus injuries. So any type of congenital issue, whether it's arthrogryposis, which is this strange uh, musculoskeletal issue with range of motion issues, or say uh, a mother who has oligohydramnia, so there's not enough fluid in the amniotic sac, so the baby's really cramped in utero, comes out, and also has decreased range of motion. Those are good physical therapy type consultations. But I think in general, uh, it's something that we need to develop further in our own unit in terms of of getting that care while the baby's still in. Um, we certainly have a baby steps clinic at discharge. We've got the full complement of ancillary folks that really carry the baby through that first two years of life. But I don't, Judy, what do you think? In terms of in the unit, uh, there are some specific diagnoses in specific families and babies that I think would benefit from more intense PT, speech therapy, that uh, frankly, we don't have enough people, <laughs> enough mm. bodies to be able to accomplish. Um, and that's exactly the problem. Because we we can order the consult, and it may be three or four days before they actually can come and see the baby. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, we started to, well, let's just order consults on the ones that really need it. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of others who could benefit but aren't getting the service because we just don't have the staff to take care of them. Right. What experience would you guys expect someone to have before you really – invited them into your unit because that's really what you're doing that's the way I see it for all the referrals we get here they're basically referring us their patient to take care of to say hey look mm-hmm. this person needs a little something more so y'all are partnering with these professionals you're bringing into your unit what experience do they need to have before you're going to invite them in to do what they need to do we would hope that they would have some experience with first pediatric patients mm-hmm. because sometimes they come and I almost get the impression that they maybe have never seen this before I can't be that's, good that's better than nothing because <laughs> then they can go back and they can try to figure something out and come up with the plan, but the ones that have the pediatric focus would certainly be more welcome. I think experience, you know, ideally we would have somebody that was dedicated to peds, potentially even dedicated to the neonatal intensive care unit, because there are some congenital things, things that babies are born with, but there are also things that develop from those long stays in the NICU, which can be three months, four months, five months, six months in the NICU before you're discharged home. So things just from chronic hospitalization that need attention, we can provide, but probably not as well as we would like, because we just don't have the staff and the experience to do it in that particular field currently. Yeah, we've been looking for that therapist tree out back. We haven't been able to find <laughs> They're not falling off the trees. Well, we're, let we're, us know. It's right next to the money tree, and as soon as we find them both, we're yeah. on it. Well, find the nursing tree, too. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. none of them are out there. Yeah. I was going to say that um, with pediatric therapists, even though they're experienced in working with pediatrics, mm-hmm. they get terrified of the lines or send them out to work with a child uh-huh. that has a trach and oh, a passimir yeah. valve, and they're like, oh, what, right. what do I do with this? Yeah. So with Allied Health, like in a perfect world where staffing is great, who would come in and do like the positioning or looking for um, different postures that the baby is in? Does nursing typically do that? 
They do, and that's based on developmental care that was formed through the help of physical therapy. Because the physical therapists came and they were on part of the developmental care team, and they did in-services, and they had these cute little bulletin boards of babies positioned and which, which babies positioned correctly, and the physical therapy people guided that, but now the nurses have pictures and guides and kind of like a, a plan of how the baby should be positioned. So they monitor that ongoingly? and The nurses do, Yeah. yes. Okay. I think with the lack of staff, the nurses pick up the slack mm-hmm. and they really do try quality improvement measures to push that along. Just for instance, nasal CPAP is a big instrument in the NICU, sort of a non-invasive way to ventilate babies. And we've moved to, what's the name of the mattress that you... Uh, it's Z-Flow. The Z-Flow, yes. It's like those expensive mattresses that you sort of sink into. Oh, like memory foam? Yes, memory foam, exactly. But this is better. Yes, it's better. <laughs> So, you know, it's sort of the contour of the baby and sort of puts the baby in an appropriate position with hips not necessarily splayed out, with arms not necessarily open for a 24-hour period. So they're actually pretty attuned to that. But in terms of getting frequent, scheduled-type therapy, they're not doing that. I know every hospital and facility is different of, like, OT in the NICU versus speech and who does the feeding and do they work with like a lactation specialist and mm. all of that together? I think we get who we get. I've seen <laughs> occupational therapy and speech therapy do feeding stuff. I've seen both. Yeah. And I'm not sure how it happens, who comes to do it. Well, there would have to be a, a certain amount of trust, I would think. If you're a patient mm-hmm. in the hospital, it's just like a revolving door of people. Like, take what you got. I mean, I don't right. know. But you can't have that in a NICU. Mm-hmm. It's not a free flow of people. But it seems right. like there's a lot of people in and out mm-hmm. for a regular patient in the hospital. It seems like a lot of people come and go on. Can't have that in the NICU. So I would imagine there has to be a certain amount of trust before mm-hmm. you're just going to let mm-hmm. somebody that without a certain amount of experience feed a baby. You've got nurses who've been feeding these babies for 20 plus years. They're pretty dark good. And the therapist really needs to maybe even say, hey, I know what I'm doing and here's why I know what I'm doing. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll prove it to you if you send me a referral. I mean, I would think just to establish a certain amount of trust and say, here's what I know. Here's what I've been trained on. Here's what I can do. But it would have to be a relationship type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I could see we were fortunate enough to have those bodies in our environment. And I'm sure this is the case elsewhere. It might be difficult to break in initially until you did establish that trust because the nurses have been doing it for so long. So you're right. The nurses can feed babies. That's what they do every three hours, several babies, all day long, 24 hours a day. So when somebody else comes in and says, I want to use a different nipple or let's use a different (laughs) technique or whatever, there's going to be a tremendous amount of skepticism. But if you had one individual who over time established rapport with the nursing corps and was able to prove themselves, absolutely, I think they would be. But you're right. That's an important point. Trust in that environment is pretty huge. Yeah. And I totally agree with what Scott said. But you have to recognize also that to get one of those consults on a baby to feed, it's a baby that the nurses are having problems feeding. Right. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just, here, come feed this baby. It's, it's this is a problem, and we recognize it's a problem, and the nurses have tried for two weeks, and they're mm-hmm. still not being able to feed it. So it's like, we need help, and that's the person that we're going to yeah. go to. Yeah. So that's the end of part one of this podcast titled The Neonatal Intensive Care Unit and the Medical Conditions Common to Premature Babies. Great learning and discussion in this podcast. Stay tuned for the next one where we'll hear more from Dr. Scott Cameron, Judy Philbrook, and Kirstie Miles. We'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. 
you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 